The weariness of a thousand battles sorely oppresses me. I must sleep that I may regain needed strength, for who knows what phantom terrors the morrow may bring, and whatever they may be, Doctor Strange must be ready to face them. How peaceful, how tranquil seems the enshrouded night, yet how filled with fears without name. If only there were someone else, someone to share with me my ever-watchful vigil. But that way lie the dregs of numbing self-pity. It was I who chose the dark paths I now tread, as it is I who must walk them alone. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the sixth episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we'll recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, 12 issues at a time. This week, we'll join Dr. Strange in his own comic book, then follow his adventures through various attempts to increase readership, doomed though they may be. Before we start, I got a five-star review for this show on iTunes. I haven't mentioned it before, but we follow the Rod and Karen doctrine on this show. So if you write a five-star review, I'll read it on the show, regardless of content, within reason. So, MJDaily23 writes, Great for new fans, five stars. I have never read a Doctor Strange comic before, but this show is great for getting background on the character. Thanks, MJDaily. I thought I'd also quickly recap Doctor Strange as a hero, his look and abilities, just in case you're just listening to the podcast and not also looking at comic books along with it. Uh, Stephen Strange is a white male with black hair, graying at the temples. He has a sweet mustache. He wears a blue tunic with pirate sleeves, belted with a yellow sash and yellow gloves. He's got blue or sometimes black tights with built-in shoes a big amulet at his neck, and a huge flowing cloak. The amulet and the cloak are both powerful magic items. The cloak of levitation allows Strange to fly, and it can operate on its own to entangle people. The amulet, also known as the Eye of Agamotto, is super-duper powerful magically, to the point that quite a few Doctor Strange fights have been won because Doctor Strange has remembered that he has the amulet and uses its powers. Otherwise, Doctor Strange can shoot magic beams and make magic shields. Steve Englehart, who will write a bunch of Defenders comics before he writes Doctor Strange, has said that all he knew about Doctor Strange for years was that he shot magic beams. Sometimes Doctor Strange can make multiple copies of himself, sometimes he can teleport places, but these powers aren't seen all that often. I just want to be clear we know about who the Doctor is before things start changing this episode. Also, I definitely want to talk a bit about the whys and wherefores of the Doctor Strange solo comic, which we'll start seeing in this episode. During the 1950s, the company that publishes Marvel comic books was bought by DC Comics, and they put a pretty harsh restriction on Marvel's comic book production. Marvel could only print eight comic books a month, period. This led to both the use of bi-monthly publishing schedules, so that two comics could fill one slot by alternating months and the use of anthology titles like Strange Tales. In 1968, Marvel got a new publisher and had a renaissance of new titles. For Strange Tales, both Nick Fury and Doctor Strange got their own books. It might be a signal of Doctor Strange's coming problems that his comic continued the Strange Tales numbering while Nick Fury got a number one. In the 60s, number ones were seen as negative, a a new comic that had been untried and tested. 
and so a higher number was supposed to boost sales. We'll see how that worked out. If you want to read along with the podcast, all the issues on today's episode are available on the Marvel Unlimited app and are collected in Essential Doctor Strange Volume 2 and Marvel Masterworks Doctor Strange Volumes 3 and 4. So let's get to the issues. Doctor Strange number 169 from June 1968. The coming of Doctor Strange. Let the word go forth. Within these hollowed pages lies the first of many talismanic triumphs by the talented team of Stan Lee editor, Roy Thomas writer, Dan Adkins artist, superbly supported by Artie Simek, letterer. It's the big first solo issue. Our story begins soon after Strange Tales number 168 in the home of the Ancient One in Tibet. Doctor Strange is getting ready for bed, but he's very uneasy. Trying to sleep, he eventually jolts awake and smokes a cigarette to calm his nerves. I'm not sure where he got a cigarette in the monastery, honestly. But this makes him reminisce about the past and gives the writers a chance to retell Strange's origin in a full issue and in more modern comics kind of way. It's been over four and a half years since the first version in Strange Tales number 115 and comic book writing has changed incredibly. So let's do that. (laughs) Stephen Strange was a medical doctor, a top flight surgeon who only cared about making money and partying extremely hard. During this flashback we see Dr. Charles Benton who will come back into Strange's life in unexpected ways in the coming issues. While Dr. Strange was on his way to a party, he lost control of his car and went over a cliff. He survived the accident, but the nerves in his hand were irreparably damaged. He'd never be able to perform surgery again. Mired in self-pity, Dr. Strange spent his fortune and traveled the world looking for a cure to his condition. Eventually, at the end of his rope, this is usually depicted by Dr. Strange having a five o'clock shadow, he followed rumors to distant Tibet to the Monastery of the Ancient One, who is said to be able to cure any illness. Eventually, Strange finds the Ancient One, and I like the Ancient One here in this flashback. He's got some solid disses for Doctor Strange. He calls him Man of the Western World and Embittered One. Anyway, Strange is snowed into the monastery, so he spends the night there, and he meets the Ancient One's student, Baron Mordo. The rest of the story goes pretty fast. Mordo is pretending to be loyal, while actually trying to kill the Ancient One with evil magic. Strange finds out about this and tries to warn the Ancient One, but Mordo puts a magical metal gag on Strange. Eventually, Doctor Strange agrees to become the Ancient One's student to thwart Mordo's plans, and we learn that the Ancient One actually knew about Mordo's deception, but that the Ancient One is once again a keep-your-enemies-closer kind of guy. The issue ends in the present day, well, the present day circa 1968, Doctor Strange receives a mental summons from the Ancient One and runs to help him. We're teased next issue will see the return of one of the deadliest foes of all, Nightmare, which takes us straight to Doctor Strange number 170, July 1968. To dream, perchance to die. Prepare ye now to shuffle off this mortal coil amid wonders beyond counting, ethereally escorted, by Stan Lee, editor, Roy Thomas, writer, Dan Adkins, artist. But if you see a shimmering shadow not far behind, don't worry. That's just Irving Watanabe, letterer, out for a moonlight stroll. 
this issue picks up immediately after the last one, with Doctor Strange running down a hallway to check on the Ancient One. He arrives to find the Ancient One soundly asleep, unable to be awoken. Strange is soon joined by the Ancient One's manservant and Wong equivalent, Hamir the Hermit, and the two of them are concerned but seemingly unable to do anything about the Ancient One's predicament. Suspecting the influence of the evil nightmare, Strange attempts to enter the Ancient One's mind, but to no avail. He even tries his most powerful wake-up spell, by Oshter's fearsome visage, for which all things do shake, by Hogoth's hoary legions, which bid the cosmos quake. Let all veils now be lifted, the Ancient One awake! But it totally doesn't work. There's only one thing left to do, and that's enter the Ancient One's mind. You might remember that Strange tried to do this during the Eternity Saga, but was largely unable to. This time, he's more powerful, so he makes some progress, but then it's a trap! Both Strange and the Ancient One are now under the control of Nightmare, who was pretending to be Hamir the whole time, that dastard! Doctor Strange is stuck in the Dream Dimension, and soon met by Nightmare, riding his evil black unicorn. You know it's evil because its horn is serrated. <laughs> the two of them have a big magic fight, with culminates with Nightmare trying to run Strange down with his horse. The horse is revealed to be a stallion and not a mare, which I think is a branding failure, FYI. <laughs> but then Doctor Strange remembers he has his magic amulet, and is able to force Nightmare to return both Strange and the captive Hammer to Earth and release the Ancient One. There's a final showdown back on Earth where Strange sticks his cloak on Nightmare, and Nightmare flees, vowing revenge, Cobra Commander style. At the end, Doctor Strange checks on the Ancient One, and the Ancient One reveals he could have beaten Nightmare at any time, but this was an easy win to help build Strange's confidence because he's been plagued by doubts. Which is kind of a dick move, honestly, but what do you expect from a Marvel Comics mentor figure, really? They're all dicks. But next issue, Clea lives. In Doctor Strange number 171 from August 1968, in the shadow of death. Stanley presents a mystery-laden masterwork by Roy Thomas writer and Tom Palmer artist. Delineative inking by Dan Adkins. Delirious lettering by Artie Simek. Tom Palmer is just sitting in on this issue. After this, we'll get to Gene Colan, who will be drawing the rest of the comic's run. Doctor Strange arrives back at his home base, the Sanctum Sanctorum in Greenwich Village in New York City. After a cursory greeting to Wong, his Asian manservant, Strange gets down to business. The Ancient One has given him a lead on recovering Clea, the mysterious woman from the Dark Dimension who he last saw being banished to parts unknown to protect her from the evil Umar. It was a whole thing. Anyway, Strange has a spell that will hopefully lead to Clea. It goes like this. From the realm of dread satanish, whence comes the forms of fear, let all dark veils now vanish. Thy herald now appear. This summons the herald of satanish. I guess for comics code purpose at this point, it couldn't fully be Satan or anything. That wouldn't be until the 70s. So instead we've got the god of ultimate evil-ish. If you catch my meaning, ish. The Herald isn't playing around though, and is able to show Doctor Strange that Clea does indeed, in fact, live. But all the Herald will do is show Clea alive, not take Doctor Strange to her. 
For that, he'll need to do some more spells, and those will require a second woman with whom Doctor Strange has a mystic rapport. There's only one woman we know like that, the freshly saved from Yandroth scientist supreme, then brainwashed Victoria Bentley. Doctor Strange teleported to New York from a swinging London party. After laying out the details, including that Clea was once a queen in her dimension until Dormammu conquered it, which I don't think we knew previously, they go through a portal and into your standard trippy space dimension in search of Clea. I think Palmer's pretty good at trippy space scenes. There's a two-page spread here that'll become a popular Doctor Strange blacklight poster, which you can see on my SoundCloud page. Strange and Bentley are separated in the crazy landscape. When they are reunited, Bentley asks Strange to basically let her wait in the cosmic car while he handles his business, and he agrees, encasing her in the Shield of the Seraphim. It's not clear what she was supposed to be doing here anyway, honestly. But now, Solo Strange encounters a spheroid which turns into a crazy evil warrior. It's fight time! The fight is basically a study in superhero color theory as the green and purple armed warrior fights red, blue, and yellow Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange seems to be winning the fight, but is somehow becoming incredibly weak, like the warrior is sapping his power. It turns out this is in fact the case, as explained by that voice. I know that voice. It's the Dread Dormammu! He's back! And he's got Clea and Victoria Bentley held captive. Oh no! Next issue. The prize is Earth. In Doctor Strange number 172 from September 1968. I, Dormammu, another legend-laden landmark, ripped untimely from the talented tentacles of Stan Lee editor, Roy Thomas writer, Gene Colan artist, inked by Tom Palmer, lettered by Irving Watanabe. All right, Dormammu, man. He's back, and he's big, holding Doctor Strange, who is currently drained of power in one hand. And as you'd expect from a powerful villain, he starts monologuing. Dormammu quickly recaps the fight he had with Eternity back in Strange Tales number 146, which ended in Dormammu seemingly being destroyed. Instead, it seems he was flung to the Realm Unknown, where Clea was also eventually thrown with the spell to hide her from Umar. Dormammu quickly became the ruler of this realm, which mostly involves becoming the big boss of the lizard troglodyte dudes who live here. He imprisoned Clea when she arrived, and then he knew he simply had to wait for Doctor Strange to come around. Back in the present, Strange, Clea, and Victoria Bentley are all being held captive by Dormammu. Again, in classic supervillain fashion, Dormammu leaves the room and has a minion stand guard. Doctor Strange once again remembers that he has a powerful magical amulet and uses it to escape his bonds. He has a fight with the guard minion, which is pretty tough, and Doctor Strange is oddly weakened. But then he realizes that the guard is powered up by his own magical power. Doctor Strange uses his magic amulet to suck the power out of the guard, and suddenly Doctor Strange is free and powered up. After a quick reunion, where it's clear that the Stephen Clea Victoria lo love triangle is way less of a love triangle than a love line, with Victoria as a random dot elsewhere, <laughs> Doctor Strange teleports the women back to Earth while he goes to settle Dormammu's hash. Smash cut to Dormammu's throne room in the Realm Unknown, where Dormy has summoned his sister Umar. It's the first time we've seen them together. 
to lord his newfound power over her. She seems moderately impressed, especially after Dormammu reestablishes his evil bona fides by killing a few of his own guys. Dormammu leads Umar and the rest of the remaining minions to the doorway of the dimensions, through which they'll launch their invasion of Earth. Wait, didn't Dormammu promise not to never invade Earth? Whatever, I guess. As the assembled demons try to batter down the door with their mystic energies, a lone figure comes forth to stop them. It's Doctor Strange, guys. Who else would it be? Next, battle. Doctor Strange, number 173, from October 1968. While a world awaits, Stanley scrutinizes and supervises a second spellbinding saga by Roy Thomas writer and Gene Colan artist inked by Tom Palmer, lettered by Artie Simek. It's the showdown between Dormammu and his demonic legions versus our buddy Doctor Strange. But before the evil hordes can fall upon him, Umar suggests that Dormammu fight Strange one-on-one, thinking, you know, Strange has won two of these fights, so why not a third? Dormammu sees through Umar's ploy, but agrees to the fight anyway, because he's a traditional supervillain and thus supremely confident at all times. They wizard duel a bit, culminating in Dormammu creating a massive magic maelstrom of madness, which Doctor Strange is only able to survive through an odd, non-rhyming spell. In the name of the all-seeing, in the name of the all-freeing, let the flames of the Valentine now free me from this maddening, merciless vertigo. The spell works, but it just means now it's time for round two of the fight. Meanwhile, Clea and Victoria Bentley teleport to Doctor Strange's house, scaring the daylights out of Wong. They begin to plan how to save the Doc, but are interrupted by a visitor, Dr. Charles Benton, who wants Strange to come back to the medical field to assist in surgeries instead of being a gaudily dressed charlatan. Which, oh man, you are not winning friends here. They show him the door, and we cut back to the Strange Dormammu fight. How's that going? It's going pretty bad, actually. Uh, round two opens with Dormammu hitting Strange with magic chains that lock him down. All seems lost, but Clea and Victoria, acting on a mental command from Steven, plant a suggestion in Umar's mind to make her help Doctor Strange escape. It works, but really, couldn't they have figured that out on their own instead of getting a command by Strange to do it? Oh, well. While Strange was freeing himself, Dormammu got the door of dimensions open, and Doctor Strange catches up just as Dormammu and the demons enter into the sky above New York City. There's some more fighting here, but the key thing is that Doctor Strange is as powerful on Earth as Dormammu was in the Nameless Dimension. Plus, there's something else holding Dormammu back. The mystic power of his own vow to never attack Earth. Ha! We got him with the Lego mumbo-jumbo! This forces Dormammu to retreat, and he goes to reconquer the Dark Dimension from Umar. Strange teleports home, exhausted, only to be yelled at by Dr. Benton, who storms off. That dude is a jerk, real talk. And this issue ends on a downer. The matchless mortal whose spells can conquer any foe but his own inescapable loneliness. But like, you've got your best friend and two ladies who love you right there, man. Whatever, I guess. Dr. Strange, number 174, from November 1968. The power and the pendulum. 
Doctor Strange faces his most spine-chilling challenge, aided and abetted only by Stan Lee, editor, Roy Thomas, writer, Gene Colan, artist, with a slight assist from Tom Palmer, inker, and Artie Simek, letterer. So this issue is split in two parts. First of all, Clea has been saved, and she can't go back to her home in the Dark Dimension because Dormammu's there. So she's stuck on Earth, apparently for a while. Doctor Strange, swinging bachelor as well as master of the mystic arts, needs his space, so he rents an apartment for Clea nearby. Wong apparently saw this coming and got a wardrobe of street clothes for Clea as well. Eventually, Doctor Strange and Clea walk to her new place, but on the way they run into no good hippies. Strange says, I hoped this by-road would be deserted. Dude, you grew up in Nebraska. I'm just saying. Anyway, both Strange and Clea get street harassed by various passers-by until Clea magically disappears a truck and Doctor Strange has to brainwash them all and fly away. Strange starts to explain humanity's largely anti-witch sentiment when he gets a telegram. What? And he's got to go on a mission. So he ditches Clea at her apartment and grabs Victoria Bentley, who's still in New York City after the end of The Last Adventure, and pining after Doctor Strange, though he doesn't even know it. It's like some kind of gender-swapped pretty and pink, both even more evil wizards. Anyhow, Stephen is taking Victoria home to England, but first they have to stop by the castle of Lord Necron. I'll spoil you and say that immortal death robots are not involved. Sorry, Warhammer 40,000 fans. You'll be shocked to learn that Lord Necron, a guy who owns a castle and has invited Doctor Strange to it, turns out to be evil. It seems that a year ago, Lord Necron sold his soul to Satanish for eternalish fame and immortalish life. Satanish sort of agrees. Agrees-ish? He will increase Necron's power each day for a year. But at the end of that year, he'll take Necron's soul unless he can get another willing mystic to sacrifice themselves. And on the last day of the year, he intends to torture Doctor Strange until Strange begs to be sacrificed. Dickish move, Necron. There's some pretty good wizard fight art here, including a deadly swinging pendulum, plus a lot of Dali-style clock art. Strange triumphs when he manages to speed up time slightly so that Satanish claims Necron's soul early. Doctor Strange escapes, but Satanish warns him that he's got minions out there still gunning for Strange. Doctor Strange then finally ditches Victoria Bentley back in London. See you later, babe. Next, the sinister sons of Satanish. Okay, we're halfway through the issues for this episode. Let's take a quick break and come back with the back half. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange When you're strange People are strange When you're a stranger Faces look ugly When you're alone Women seem wicked When you're unwanted Streets are uneven When you're down Okay, we're back. 
So a little backstory on what's about to happen with Doctor Strange. Uh, the comic is not doing that well. Comic readers are starting to make it clear that they don't like the format I mentioned last week. The go to another dimension, fight its boss, move on format. They want Doctor Strange to have adventures that are more part of the real world. And would it kill you to superhero him up a bit? Uh, keep this in mind as we begin our next issues. Doctor Strange number 175 from December 1968. On to us, the Sons of Satanish. You are cordially invited to journey below the busy, bustling streets of Manhattan, through the dank, sunless corridors which exist beneath our very feet, and into a twilight world whose very existence few mortals suspect, ably escorted by Stan Lee editor, Roy Thomas writer, Gene Colan artist, Tom Palmer inker, Sam Rosen letterer. We start in the sewers where we see the Sons of Satanish, and they're doing sewer magic in their sweet red robes. We learn that their leader is named Asmodeus, and that they're magically spying on Doctor Strange and Clea as they go for a walk in Central Park. Clay is still in full demon princess mode, uh, purple tights, fishnet sh shirt, crazy pink shoulder, collar extender. Doctor Strange is more subdued in a brown suit with a funky medallion. Bored with normal walking, Clay goes to fly around, but Strange pulls her back down to Earth. All the various people in the park act like this is a crazy unusual thing, and like NYC isn't the epicenter of superpowered individuals. Anyhow, Strange quickly retreats, Clea in tow, to a taxi with a driver who hates hippie types, but will still give Strange and Clea a ride anyway. In the back seat of the cab, Clea napping on his shoulder, it's a lovely night for Stephen Strange. But then, Satanish attack! The sons call upon Satanish to destroy Strange, and Satanish sends these evil rings against him. Doctor Strange is forced to enter his astral form to fight them off, the cab driver and Clea, none the wiser. The version of the astral form is actually really cool here, it's all uh, colored highlights on a black background. Strange fights off the attack and drops Clea off at her apartment, not letting her know that he was just magically attacked in the taxi cab. Doctor Strange walks home, brooding on the nature of the attack and then remembers that Satanish told him that other mortals were coming after him and maybe Clea too. Then he realizes that mortals could find out where Clea lives by questioning the cab driver, who Doctor Strange forgot to brainwash. Ah, dip. At Clea's place, it looks like Wong arrives before Doctor Strange can, and he and Clea run into the street where they are accosted by a gang of thugs, because pre-Giuliani New York is rough. The issue ends with Clea hiding from the gang with a new friend, one of the red-robed sons of Satanish. Next, The Betrayal, Doctor Strange, number 176, January 1969. O grave, where is thy victory? A masterwork of mysticism in the modern marble manner by Stan Lee editor, Roy Thomas writer, Gene Colan artist, with the supplementary skills of Tom Palmer inker and Herb Cooper letterer. So Clay has been kidnapped by the Sons of Satanish, under the guise of protecting her from a roving gang of thugs. Strange is hot on her trail, 
he quickly learns that the cab driver from last issue has been magically interrogated to get the location of Clea's apartment, and that the Wong we saw last issue was a trick to lure Clea out of hiding. Now Strange finds the thugs from the gang we saw last issue, and they're revealed to be more sons of Satanish. Those jerkish jerks! After some stops and starts, Strange makes his way home to do more research on Satanish, and we see Clea being magically brainwashed and programmed. Smash cut to Strange studying and Clea suddenly returning to the Sanctum, freed. All seems well, and Doctor Strange takes a quick f a telephone call, and it's that Charles Benton guy again. No one wants to be your assistant, Charles. But during this phone call, Clea tries to stab Doctor Strange in the back. She's been programmed for murder. She was going to kill Doctor Strange and then steal the Book of Vishanti, which we saw Kalu steal. Whoa, these many issues ago. Strange has Clea play out her programming and follows her to an old cemetery where we see Clea walk into a mausoleum straight through the closed doors. We also see a sweet, freshly carved tombstone. The name on it? Stephen Strange. Spooky. Strange enters the mausoleum, which is clearly a Sons of Satanish base. There's a big wizard fight, but in the end the Sons are victorious. They take Strange's cloak and amulet and exile him to a distant dimension. We're in trouble! Doctor Strange number 177, February 1969. The Cult and the Curse. Prepare ye now to enter a new and even greater era of mystic magnificence with Doctor Strange. Not to mention Stan Lee, editor, Roy Thomas, writer, Gene Colan, artist, nor must we forget Tom Palmer, embellisher or Herb Cooper, letterer. Clea and Steven are sent to an alien dimension. Doctor Strange without his cloak or amulet, or so it appears. In fact, it seems that Strange may have had some inkling about the situation he was walking into last issue, as the amulet, cloak, and the Book of Vishanti soon disappear from the Sons of Satanish's grasp. The book goes to the Ancient One. The gear goes to Strange. Enraged at being outsmarted, Asmodeus, leader of the Sons, plans to cast a mighty spell, the spell of fire and ice. Now showing on HBO, Sundays at 10 p.m. Asmodeus makes his disciples magically transfer all their power to him, then banishes them to another dimension to prove he's evil. Full of his followers' power, Asmodeus changes his shape to fool the Ancient One and becomes a perfect match for Doctor Strange. Meanwhile, in the other dimension, the real Doctor Strange has reacquired his cloak and amulet and tries to return to Earth, but apparently he's being blocked by Asmodeus' scheme. I guess if someone is magically impersonating you, there's already one of you on Earth? And that, like, takes up your spot? I don't know, but it means Doctor Strange has to take a new form to return to Earth. And he totally does. He goes to a more obvious superhero form with a blue full-face mask, gauntlets and boots, and a pair of black briefs over blue tights. This look is controversial, and I'll try to explain why and give my opinion later on. Anyway, this Super Strange returns to Earth and confronts the Imposter Strange in the Ancient One's Monastery. They have a big wizard fight, which proves to be too much for the heart of Asmodeus, who dies under the strain, but not before he can do two things. One, be revealed to be that surgeon guy, Dr. Benton, who I never liked in the first place, I'm just saying. And two, 
to cast the spell of fire and ice. Thermodorus, Frigibus, Nihilus. I didn't go into it before, but apparently the Sophie, S-O-F-I, will mystically summon two big Thor bad guys, uh, Ymir, the frost giant, and the mighty demon Surtur. And now they're on their way to Earth. Is the costumed Doctor Strange enough to stop them? We'll see in a Doctor Strange number 178 from March 1969. The multi-talented team of Stan Lee editor, Roy Thomas writer, Gene Colan artist, Tom Palmer inker, Herb Cooper letterer, combine forces to chronicle a tale of Doctor Strange as he battles demon and disaster with one beside him. After a quick recap, we find out that the only way to stop the spell of fire and ice, now completing its hit sixth season, is to see if the other sons of Satanish know the counterspell. The only problem? Well, as we'll remember, after Asmodeus took their power last issue, he banished them to another dimension. This issue, the Ancient One reveals which dimension, that of Taboro, who you'll remember from our second episode when he kidnapped a bunch of TV skeptics and Doctor Strange turned into a rock to defeat him. Domo arigato indeed. Doctor Strange knows he'll need a partner to help in this mission against Taboro, but the Ancient One is too old, and Clea has been weakened by the previous story. Who can we turn to? Yep, Victoria Bentley, the lovely Britisher. So Doctor Strange flies off and crashes another one of her parties in London, this one being attended by masked sword fighter, the Black Knight. Despite his name and comic customs, he's not an African-American knight. He's just an American who has inherited the magic sword and winged horse of an ancient Arthurian villain. He's been an Avenger for a while, and he and Doctor Strange met recently in Avengers number 60, which... Okay, look, Avengers 60 is weird. It's the marriage of Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, who you probably know as Ant-Man and the Wasp. But the circumstances for the wedding is that an anonymous supervillain known only as Yellow Jacket forces Janet to marry him through blackmail, then reveals himself to be her boyfriend slash fiance in disguise because Hank Pym is a crazy jerk. Anyway, Doctor Strange just kind of appears in the background, like in the pews of the wedding, so it didn't seem like it's a big enough appearance to be worth recapping as one of the issues this episode. Anyway. Strange realizes that the Black Knight will be a way better adventure buddy than Victoria, who honestly doesn't seem to add much to a team. So he recruits the Knight, while Victoria will stay home and monitor the action magically. The two teleport to Tyboro's dimension. They fly around a bit, Strange on his magic cloak, the Black Knight on his Pegasus Aragorn, which I feel like was a way more subtle reference in 1969, until they meet Tyboro. Beware his wand! They fight for a while until the knight destroys Taboro's power wand, which destabilizes the dimension. In return for fixing it, Taboro lets our team rescue the Sons of Satanish. They've won the battle. Can they win the war? The test of fire and ice? My fave's Tyrion, though he's had a rough season, honestly. We'll find out in a sweet Avengers crossover. Avengers 61! from February 1969. The timing of these titles is weird because this issue definitely takes place after Doctor Strange n number 178, which is from March 1969, and this one's from February 1969. 
I don't know. Anyway, some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. Written by Roy Thomas. Art by John Buscema. George Klein Inker. Sam Rosen Letterer. The title comes from a Robert Frost poem, actually. So we open on Avengers Mansion with a very small Avengers team. It's just the Black Panther, Hawkeye, and the Vision. The remainder of the team is on their honeymoon. If you've seen the most recent Avengers movies, you've got a good idea of what all these guys can do. Though in about two issues, the writing team will get tired of Hawkeye shooting arrows and will have him become a giant man knockoff, Goliath. But today, we join the Avengers at 3 a.m. in the mansion, where Black Panther has invented a solar gun that shoots into the Vision's forehead crystal to power him up, while Hawkeye makes wisecracks. They're interrupted by the ghostly form of Doctor Strange, who they instantly recognize despite his recent costume change. It looks like the interrogation of the Son of Satanish member rescued from Taboro happened off-screen, you see it here in flashback, and culminated in the cultist blasting Doctor Strange with an item called the Crystal of Conquest. The one item that can be used to control the spell of fire and ice. The Black Knight, being super heroic, jumped in front of the blast and is now unconscious and dying. Doctor Strange wants to use the Avengers' advanced medical technology to save him. They do this, but apparently the magic blast requires surgery as well, and the only one that can do it is Doctor Strange, who hasn't held a scalpel since the night of his accident. Which kind of asks the question, did the Ancient One actually heal the nerve damage in Doctor Strange's hands? Apparently yes, because the surgery is successful and the Black Knight will be fine. There's a pretty funny image of the blue head of Doctor Strange sweating during the surgery. I don't think masks work like that. Although maybe Super Doctor Strange just has blue skin? It's, it's not clear. Anyhow, with the Black Knight back up and running, it's time to get that fire and ice. There are reports of a ton of volcanoes suddenly appearing and erupting in Antarctica. Meanwhile, tropical Wakanda is freezing solid. Wakanda, of course, being the African country that is home of the Black Panther. The team splits up, with Black Knight and Hawkeye going to Antarctica, and Vision and the Black Panther going to Wakanda. They are to keep the giants busy, while Doctor Strange figures out how to work the Crystal of Conquest. There's a pretty solid fights here. Um, Hawkeye and Black Knight versus Surtur, Vision and Black Panther versus Ymir, but both are losing battles. The Titans are just too powerful. As both wind up to deliver a killing blow, Doctor Strange figures out the Crystal and uses it to teleport all the Avengers and Titans to Antarctica, where Surtur and Ymir attack each other at the same time, instantly destroying each other. Just like a Teocles and Polynesis from Antigone? Ah, go read a book. As a quick aside, after this issue in Avengers 62, we see that Doctor Strange has just abandoned the Avengers in Antarctica and they're freezing their butts off. <laughs> it's kind of funny, I don't know. But we go to Doctor Strange number 180 from May 1969. Eternity, eternity. A Masterwork of the Macabre by Stan Lee Editor, Roy Thomas Writer, Gene Colan Artist, inked and embellished by Tom Palmer, lettered and relished by Sam Rosen. Uh, just a note that we're skipping issue number 179 
because it's a reprint of the story from Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number Two, uh, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man versus Xandu for control of the Wand of Watum. Check it out in Episode Three. This issue starts with Doctor Strange in your average kind of crazy dreamscape, as as Doctor Strange encounters the long-lost Eternity. But then the image of Eternity is replaced by that of Nightmare. Strange is disturbed by the dream, but that doesn't stop him from getting ready for a night on the town. Apparently, it's New Year's Eve 1968, and the Doc is taking Clea out to see the ball drop. They do have some kind of fun people-on-the-street stuff. Uh, Clea experiences snow for the first time. They meet author Tom Wolfe, who Strange hasn't seen since he was just a candy-colored, tangerine-flake, streamlined baby. (laughs) And the guy tries to give Clea a New Year's smooch, but Strange has him kiss a lamppost instead. I was robbed, he said. So far, so good, until the clock strikes midnight, and suddenly, Dino attack! A pterodactyl flies into the clock, and a T-Rex stalks the streets. Strange suits up and starts blasting. He fights the dinos with magical energy to a standstill, until a bunch of Vikings show up, and some savages from yet another time and place. They look Persian or something to me, I don't know. But basically time is going mad. In the middle of the chaos, a figure appears. Nightmare! And he got eternity held captive. Nightmare calls Doctor Strange out. A fight to the death for control of eternity. Doctor Strange hesitates a moment. But there's only one real choice. He must fight. Next episode, Doctor Strange will face a living gauntlet in the world of dreams where one misstep, one flaw in judgment, means death. Next, if a world should die. So that concludes this week's issues. Like a lot of people, I'm not a huge fan of Doctor Strange's superhero garb. Part of what I like about the character is that he's not a normal hero with like a super suit and a secret identity and stuff. Giving him those things, as we'll see next episode, are unnecessary additions. Still, it's tough to see the creative team flailing around, trying to find something that'll attract more readers. I don't think it's a huge spoiler to tell you that there's only three more issues left of this run of Doctor Strange, and it'll be years before the series is restarted. Anyway, on that kind of grim note, we end for the week. Come back next time for both the end of Doctor Strange and a new beginning as part of the greatest non-team in comics history, The Defenders. Uh, If you like the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at strangerbythedozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on Facebook and Instagram at strangerbythedozen, Twitter at strangerbythetwelve, that's strangerbythe12, and on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com. During the week, I'll post images from the issues covered this week, so keep an eye out. I'm sorry I fell down on this this week. I will do better. You can also find a full visual companion as well as episodes on StrangerByTheDozen.com. You can find Stranger by the Dozen on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any fine podcasting app. And remember, if you leave a five-star review on any platform, I will read it on the show. Until next time, faithful listener, I say, Behold! I feel some unfamiliar shield between the worlds, preventing my passage. My sorcery-trained senses tell me I cannot re-enter the Earth dimension, because Asmodeus has stolen my very face and form. But if yon shield affects me as I am, 
it shall not long prevail, for many can be the forms, and many the faces of the man called Doctor Strange. Until next time, my name is Conrad, and this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path. <laughs>